most of us, when we hear the word budget, really start to cringe. In this episode, I'm excited to connect with David Milanis, who's the host of Something on Your Mind podcast. We have a candid conversation about how do you really approach this topic and create an ultimate budget that not only serves you in the short term and you don't hate yourself for spending time and actually digging up the numbers, but you really start to see this tool is something that you can use to help you achieve your financial goals. So tune in to our conversation. You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging, but in 21st century, financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do you find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Shergunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. Hey, Money Bosses. Welcome back to the Money Boss Podcast. Anna's here, and I'm excited for our guest today because we are going to be focusing on a topic that a lot of us really um, dismiss and dread. But I promise you that after this conversation today, you're going to have a whole take, whole, whole complete take on what budgeting is all about. And so our guest today is David Malonis, who is the host of Something on Your Mind podcast. And he provides a fresh take on personal finance tips with budgeting, debt management, homeownership principles, and really more ideas and advice for everyday life. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you, David, today. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. So, you know, one of the things that... um, and it's really just a statistic out there, but I do know this from practical experience working with clients. But And I even stopped using the word budget in, in my financial planning approach, but it's like something like maybe 70% of people out there actually have a budget and something like 25% of those 70 actually really um, do something about it. So like, how can we educate and position this uh, for our audience uh, who are busy professional families to really um, open up their minds um, and start looking at that um, as a tool to improve their financial lives. Well, yeah, right off the bat, it's about 67% of people who just actually don't budget regardless if they have one or not. So your numbers are pretty close. Um, (laughs) Okay. Right. And that's the case. And there's always different uh, surveys that come out, but that's pretty much in the zone, right? Um, The first thing that I guess, honestly, that People really wouldn't think of it this way, but you have to care. I mean, you really have to give a crap. You got to be honest. And I won't use any profanity, but um, people need a swift kick in the pants because they just don't care. It's like anything. If you're interested in calculus in school, then you'll probably do better in math. And that's why people always argue about school. Like, well, if I just targeted at things that I like, I would do better at them. So, but that's coupled with the problem that, you know, in this country, this is not taught as education for the most part. So if your parents aren't taught or your guardians, whoever raises you aren't good with their money, then more than likely you're not going to be good with your money because they are not teaching you proper skills. So the way I like to think of it is 
um, we kind of, and like in our podcast, we think of them like pillars. So things in life that matter to you typically are your career, your family, your friends, your religion, if you follow one, um, right? Those are like things that everybody would say generally, but no one says money. And that should be one of those pillars because money runs the world, unfortunately, and um, it can make your life worse or better depending on what you do with it. Um, so we have the mentality in this country to sit there and say, I can buy now and I, then I can pay later. Um, and that's how our, <coughs> excuse me, that's how our economy is designed. That way it keeps moving along. So everybody's paying all these companies interest on the things that they're borrowing. And so that's why the system works like it does. So again, back to the answer, the crux of the question, you have to care. If you don't care, you won't do it. Yeah, I, I agree. And so I, and I also talk about this a lot because my personal experience in, in so kind of venturing onto, in, into this career all came from the fact that um, it, was, it really hurt and I was suffering from the, you know, the stupid decisions I made about finances in my early 20s. And so that education piece that you mentioned went missing. My family didn't have the right you know, tools in place. It was taught in school, um, college. And so um, it's just all these mistakes that led me onto this path. But I'm interested to learn about how did you become interested in this topic? And you know, why do you even have a podcast to talk about it? You know, I don't really know for sure. I didn't have like a, a shining moment, but I do remember as a kid that uh, my mom was divorced and the, uh, the friend of the court check wasn't coming in. So I, I saw how she struggled. Um, and then, you know, that's say in the late seventies, early eighties. So women in the workforce aren't as uh, prominent as they are today, but even today they don't, they make 78 cents on the dollar to a man. So I saw that as an example. Um, I have a grandfather that was close with who, um, basically built everything with his hands and he worked in a steel mill and he had, didn't, didn't even go to high school, worked in the coal mines, uh, down in Kentucky and he had to find ways to make things work. So I learned from him about making things stretch making things, make, always figuring out how to make something just keep moving or build. And I know that's not necessarily money, but yes, it always relates back to um, if I don't, if I can make this a function, then I don't have to go spend money doing this, right? Um, maybe one more thing that stuck in my head was that um, close to my home, there was a, a giant highway being built. And um, I would go down and in Michigan, there's a 10% or 10 cent bottle return deposit. And uh all the construction workers would leave their cans out there. So I would just go there and collect them all, run to the store and 10 cents back in the early eighties and you collect enough of them. That's a, that's a good chunk of money for someone who's a early teenager. And so, um, cause they weren't taking them back. They don't care. And so I just climbed all over the, uh, the you know, the front end loaders and the bulldozers and grabbed all the stuff. And so I just kind of saw all of these things, um, working together as like a confluence, if you will. And, um, and, and, and the thing it makes a difference and this is again if, if if parents are teaching their kids if if they're learning this kind of thing is early on and this is what we did with our kids i'm kind of tangenting a bit but as soon as the kids um did any type of meaningful work uh, not even so much chores but when they were um off school in the summers we we said you should work and as soon as they started working they stopped asking for money because they realized how cool it was to have their own money and so that drives that inner um, independence with yourself to um, uh, kind of take care of your own house, if you will. And so that's kind of what happened to me as a kid. And then um, I, I don't know why it stuck with me, um, it's, but I, I like money. Um, and it's not even about being cheap. It's about 
hey, I earned this and I want to go out and do something with it, but I also want to protect my castle a little bit because I know what it's like to have something when I did it to start out with. Yeah, I, I agree that. And I, I can relate to that because I, as soon as I could work and um, that was, you know, 15, um, I got a job because I wanted to have that independence as well. Like that, my first, my first job was making $5.25 an hour. So I thought it was rich, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's all could relative, afford, right? I know, right. Could afford anything I wanted, but um, the whole idea, and, and I wish, this is what I'm thinking back. I wish I had those right um you know, tools in place, right? I want even that tool so much, right? At 15, understanding about, okay, how does this, you know, apply to, and what do you do with that $5.25 that I just earned working for an hour? So how, let's talk about, um, since most people don't like to budget, right? And and that just concept doesn't really sit well. They don't want to look at where the money is going. Um, they don't want to think of it, you know, in those categories. They just want to for most what I see people want to just have something that works and then they don't want to put a lot of time into it. So how do we change that uh, mindset to begin with? Um, Again, you have to care, but I would say that um, there's some simple tools out there. You have the internet. It's free. Okay. You can go get a budget template for free. You can go watch CNBC. You can watch Kramer's mad money about the economy and the stock market for free. Um, You, uh, Here's the thing. If you asked anybody and said, would you love to have a lot of money? Would you love to be able to retire with a good nest egg and do what I want to do? And the answer is always going to be yes, even if you're 20. So, um, you know, I, I think if you see somebody else around you, especially when you're younger, they typically are more, um, hey, I have this, I have that. But today they're more open about what they make and what they do. And so they they want to jump on all these schemes and things, and they but they have to learn, right? When you made five dollars and twenty five cents, you probably made a mistake at some point, and then realize, oh, that hurts. Now I'm going to think twice about this money. So, um, I think the other thing is that you have to have some influence around you. So it is easy to look up, it is easy to get the information, but find somebody out there that is good with their money. Like <clears throat> Cindy and I, we have this podcast. We don't even try to make money at it. We just do it for help. And we have all these people coming back saying, I learned this, I did this, so I got reminded of that. So um, you really just, you really have, I keep saying it, you have to care. You can't force somebody to go all of a sudden start being good with their money. Something has to hit them where they're they're striking out. Like, hey, um, my credit cards, (coughs) excuse me, are maxed. I ran into an emergency problem. I don't have any money. I can't work right now. Maybe my, my mom got sick and I have to go take care of her. It could be anything. And sometimes it's always like being reactive instead of proactive. Yeah, and that's, and that's really true, the reactive versus proactive approach. And so how, let's talk for, um, for a minute about, so how do you approach budgeting? I know there are free templates online. I use a, you know, an aggregation tool that helps you kind of keep all the numbers together. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you still have to sit down and, and, and do the do the numbers. So share and talk about your process. Um, it's, this is what's in my book. It's what's on the website. And the first thing you should do is pull out your bank statements and your credit card statements. And you should comb those uh, at least three months. But I would tell you, realistically, you go back a year, especially if you're an adult where you're paying for a lot of things, you might have kids or more responsibilities. And you go look at all those things and you'll find some repeated patterns of where your money's really going because you don't know. 
Because Diana, if I asked you, let me ask you a question. How many times did you go out to dinner last month? I don't you know. know. <laughs> yeah, what, a good question. Would it be five? Right around five. I would say maybe once a week, maybe okay. some weeks or twice. So that's probably fair. Okay. And do you know how much you spend on all those di dinners? I wouldn't, but I could look it up pretty quick. There's my point. See, if you don't track it, you don't know. But when you pull out your statements and start looking at everything, and um, that's what I did with Cindy when we met. She was not in a great position. You know, um, I mean, where we are today is, 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 is like night and day. And the first thing we did together when we we're going to blend ourselves was let's look at the statements. And she realized how much she was spending on just eating out at Panera. And it usually, more than anything, it's usually food in some sort of uh, frame. It, it is either dining out or ordering out or whatever it may be. Usually that's the number one, <coughs> excuse me, culprit. But you got to take all that history and then you, and then you got to input that in some sort of uh, app or tool or spreadsheet. And then you can start filling all that out. And then you'll get that average at least to say, okay, I, I, okay this is where all this other money is going now. Because when you have a mortgage and a car payment and auto insurance and your cable bill and all those things are usually pretty fixed. The numbers don't change. So those are easy to plug in, but it's all the ancillary, the extracurricular things that can really kill you, let alone that you might be charging a bunch of stuff on credit cards and maybe those you know, mortgage payment and car payments are too high. But aside from that, at least they get that visual. You got to find all those categories and start plugging them into that spreadsheet. And then again, I say a year because you can have biannual payments, you can have yearly payments, you can have quarterly payments on things. So you need to know what all the things are because people also spend differently during the seasons. The average person spends a thousand bucks on the holidays. For example, like we have a one acre yard here. So every spring we spend a ton of money on planting every year. So that's something that's in our world that we know about. So whatever it may be, those are the things you really have to take time and understand that. That's the first thing you have to do. This gives you the, that, that picture, um, kind of making that clay mold, knowing what you're working with right at that point. And then you can start making decisions. Yeah, I like, I like that approach. And I have my clients go through um, a similar process in terms of under, you know, digging all the numbers and, and really laying it all out uh, onto a spreadsheet. Um, I, I like what you mentioned about categories and kind of looking at your spending um, from the fixed perspective, like the items that are fixed um, and really having a handle on that versus items that are variable because, you know, things change and, and, and spending patterns change um, as well. I've, I've adopted more of a spending plan approach versus a budgeting approach um, and more focused on, okay, I've got my fixed part of the expenses under control. I know exactly every month what it's going to be. I actually even have two separate check-in accounts to kind of give me that you know, freedom to not have to worry about, oh my gosh, are we going to have enough money to pay the mortgage and daycare bill and, you know, just some of the fixed stuff. And then second checking account is for all that variable spend. And, and so like, okay, the question about, you know, how many times it would go out to dinner, right? I can easily look that up and see, you know, for the month of um, July, for example. So it just gives me a little bit more um, freedom of not having to worry about like, all the transactions are happening in one place and you're like, oh my gosh, is this really going to go through or, you know, or the, something is going to um, bounce and we're going to have a negative, you know, overdraft in the account. But the fix and variable really, um, I feel like it really helps to sort of see that. Um, see, also, go ahead. I was going to say the, the one thing that I do that I have never seen is 
For the most part, I make everything in the budget a fixed amount. I turn it into a fixed amount. I develop that. So um, Amazon Prime, great example. It's like 132 bucks, right? Well, that's $132 that's going to come out in some month when you started. And if you don't account for that, that's more money coming out than you anticipated. But if you put away $11 a month in a side account, that money would be sitting there. And you should do that with that. So all of those numbers like that, that um, come up in those periodic times, those sh should be treated that way. And that creates a fixed amount. And for the most part, groceries, you know, food category, um, daycare, a couple of things like that. If you like bowl in a league for five months a year, like for example, if you're bowling a league for five months a year, you should know what it costs you, right? But you don't wait till the five months to pay for it. You put the money aside and create an average. So you're paying for the bowling all year long. So when you're actually paying for it, you're, you're growing, if it's 27 a month, then you're just, you've taken out of your little side money over here because you've already been paying yourself the gold bowl rather than having to pay 80 bucks a month for the five months. So that whole exercise, if you look at everything very deeply, you can pretty much make, I would say within 5% of a fudge factor to be able to keep everything in your budget fixed. And this way you get rid of the ebbs and flows where you have months where you should have, you have more money than you, you know, that, um, that maybe you thought. And then some months you have less because um, again, you didn't account for the Amazon bill coming out as an example. So that's the process that I use. When you talk about allocating, like, you know, for, for an expense that's only like five months or happens, you know, every so often, how do you do that? Is this, is this the function of your spreadsheet or a program you use? How do you manage like that money in the actual checking account? You can do it two ways, but I do on my website, you can go to, it's, it's something on my mind.net. I'm sure we'll cover this at the end, but there's an education section in there and there's like a, um, a budget section and there's like a 12 month planner. And basically for all those types of bills, like daycare is another one. You should go, if you mapped up all your daycare, you, you should, you know, with holidays and sickness and vacations, you should go, okay, these are all the days I'm going to go. I know what's going to cost, but every month is different. So you create an average and then this sheet will tell you each month what I'm going to need. And then based on that, you're going to say, well, in the beginning, I might be a little short or a little over because you're going to go this month. I need to bring money in for my supplemental account. And this month I'm going to put money into my supplemental account. And what it does is it tells you, oh, usually it's within a hundred bucks or so. Typically, of I might have to put a hundred bucks to start, but that way every month I have everything I need as a fixed amount to cover the shortage or the overage. And that way, that money will also replenish itself at the end of the year. So if I whatever money I put in in the beginning to to start it to make sure it breaks even, that'll replenish itself, and that money will be there at the end of the year, and it just recycles itself. What would you say, or how would you guys approach? Um, a question about when, when someone doesn't have a fixed income, it's like, I feel like, and this is the pushback I do get a lot from clients too, or more of a resistance, like, oh, well, I don't get a paycheck every two weeks. You know, I'm business owner. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, whole budgeting concept. Well, one, they got to watch their budgets really closely. Um, mm -hmm. If it's like seasonal, they, they have to have, hopefully, a handle on when they know money's coming and what's not. And you again have to say, if I'm a, I'm a school teacher and let's say I'm only getting paid nine months a year. I, I don't take my check um, for the 12 months. Then you again have to create that average. So don't overspend on the money in the years or the months where the money's coming in. You got to spend evenly throughout the time. They're going to have to create some sort of income average. Like if you wait tables, typically you're going to make 30, 35 grand a year is the average server's wage over, over time, right? So 
they should know that. And they're going to, the problem is they are going to say, man, one month I made, you know, a thousand and another month I made 3000 and they don't know what to do. What the point is, is if it's, if that's 4,000 over two months, they're going to have to say, well, I'm making 2000 a month. So the month that I'm over that month, I made $3,000. I'm a, um, that thousand dollars that's over. I have to put that money aside. I got to hold it. That's my little supplemental account again, because I know the next month, Maybe I'm only making a grand and I got that way I'm covered. So I pull that money back in again and now I'm back to the 2000. So if, when they're in their professions, I know it's tough as a small business owner, but they're going to have to do something where they have to establish some sort of history or really be conservative with their money until they establish what they, who they may be with consistency with their money. And, as they, and if they grow, then they can, they can adjust that. And if they're making less than they thought, they're going to have to bring that down as well. And so with that uncertainty, they have to be really careful because, and this gets to the other point, that when you budget, you need an emergency and a rainy day fund. And people, I'm going to say the percentage of people who have an emergency fund are 10%, maybe. And that you need three to six months worth of your income to pay your bills in case you can't work. And in some cases, maybe even more like the pandemic with, with people, again, um, restaurant people, I feel horrible for them. 40% of restaurants are, are never going to come back into business. So, you know, they were out of work for a while, but they did get some, some relief, thankfully. But that's a great example of, all right, well, what if I'm a line worker is another one. What if I'm laid off at the plant? Well, I have to have money over here. And so the problem is, is if you don't have that money, you're going to go draw from something else that may be there and you, you get rid of it or you end up charging and borrowing money in other ways, like taking money out uh, out of your house or a second home or a credit card or things like that. And then you're just creating more debt and then you're paying more interest to some other third party. And the other thing is, is the rainy day fund, which is for unforeseen expenses, such as like a dishwasher breaking or a, a tree limb falling on your gutter and damaging it. Those are things that you should have. Typically, most situations, most experts will probably say 2,000 to 2,500 bucks. And you need to have that established. If you don't have those two things, especially the small business owners, the people with unstable income, but really it's for everyone. If you don't have that, eventually you're going to get burned. No one sails through life where things just go okay. Even people who make really nice livings have problems in life. There's, there's no insurance policy on uh, what kind of money you may need in situations that you can't predict. I agree with you on, it doesn't matter the income level, right? And it's, People who make a lot of money still struggle with the same issues because <laughs> the money just goes out the door. Um, I wanted to point out something, and I've heard this a lot throughout the last you know, 15 months or so that we've been in this pandemic. People are, and those who are focused on the emergency reserves and keeping them and maintaining them, maintaining them, have been interested in increasing that. Like three to six months is great, right? You can build it up to three months and then kind of go from there. But a lot of clients are asking, well, you know, I feel really uncertain about what's going on. I really want to get it up to like eight months, nine months. I even have clients who said, okay, 12 months because our lifestyle is expensive. Our jobs are going to be long. It's going to take long to re, you know, if we get sick or, you know, fired, it's going to take us long to rebuild that. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's, that's great if you can build it up. But I think also tying it into those business owners or self-employed individuals is, is really crucial. The one, the one area where I think people struggle the most is, and, and maybe, like you said, you have to care enough to really sit down and do this work, um, really connecting all of these dots, right? Like a lot of times it's like, 
there's just not enough income coming in to make all of this work. So how do we, what are your thoughts on that? Like if there's just not enough income coming in, I didn't cut the budget. Um, I'm going to say, I don't buy into that. I think that's an excuse. Cindy goes and teaches 401k to people who make 12 to $17 an hour, which is pretty much around the poverty line. And oftentimes she gets people to invest and they say, I can't, I don't have any money. And, and, and it doesn't matter to her if they invest or not, but she's trying to help them because you've got to put away for yourself, which we haven't even talked about that yet. But she gets them to squeeze $25 a paycheck because they're sitting there with a coffee in their hands that they bought at Starbucks. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you went and looked, there's always things, little things that you can cut back on your budget to scrape $25, $50, or $100. Bucks. I never buy into that excuse because the one thing in your question was my lifestyle. My lifestyle is expensive. Well, right off the bat, if your clients are telling you that, yet they can't um, keep their debts managed and invest in themselves properly for their own futures, then they're living the wrong lifestyle. That means they, that it's exactly, you know, you can't spend on the things you don't have. But the American way is I can go do whatever I want. And, and again, buy now, pay later. And I, and I get FOMO and I don't want to miss out on doing these things because my friends are, or my, friend, my buddy across the street bought a boat. You know, someone bought this big house over here. That's, you know, that's the, the lifestyle creep they talk about or, um, you know, the uh, keeping up with the Joneses is the other phrase. And, you know, I just never buy into that excuse. I get some people fall on hard times. So that happens, unforeseen things, but that's not a big percentage. So as a blanket statement, if you don't have any of those catastrophic things in your way, when you say that you can't afford, if you have ability to live, but on your own and you can move out even as a young adult, I got a job, I got an apartment, I got a car, whatever, and I can get to my job and make my money, then there's no excuse. There just isn't. You could say, listen, you know what? I can't afford cable. I got to cut back. Um, you know what? I can't eat out this month. I cut back. I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting coffee at work. I'm not making it at home. I cut back. There's always a way to do it if you have to go to that level. So I don't buy into that excuse at all. Yeah. I agree with you. And also, um, I, I think it's the skills that people need to really want to learn how to do all of these things, right? You can, you can put all the excuses aside. If you really start to look into this, then like all of that is not really relevant. The one thing you mentioned about the debt. So let's talk a little bit about those who do have debt that they need to pay off. Um, it's like a lot of times this question about, okay, what do I focus on and how do I even see this in my budget? If I have, you know, debt, credit card debts, or maybe, um, let's not focus like on the mortgage or on the auto loans, but I call it a bad debt. And then at the same time, you know, they're hearing this advice, well, we need to build an emergency fund and, you know, it needs to be this and that. So how, how do you, where do you fit those items into the budget and, and your structure? There's a lot of components there. Um, I will say this. If you're putting things on credit and you can't pay the card off every month, like the automatic billing, you're buying things that you can't afford. So right off the bat, again, there's a problem with your budget. Is it something um, that, um, again, aside from a major problem, you're buying things, again, that shouldn't be there. So right off the bat, you're, you're just hurting yourself. But if you want to pay that off, okay, then, you know, in my opinion, credit cards are the most toxic form of debt around. They just, they build, they're easy. It goes off an average daily balance. And the more you add to it, and if you only make the minimum payment, you can just spend years paying it down. And so, you know, and that's what credit card companies want. They only make you pay one to 4% of that balance, just enough above the point where you can pay it down just enough a little bit. That's how they do it. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to come up with a plan. If you have multiple cards, um, there's two theories. One, 
you'll hear about the, uh, the debt snowball where you pay off the one that's the smallest debt first, and then you get some mental fortitude and then you, you know, you feel good. And then you go to the next card The by the math, you go to the debt avalanche and you start with the card that's charging the most interest first and you knock that down. So if you have a $500 payment, for example, when that, while you're making the minimum on the other. So if you, let's say wiped out 500 bucks a month on the one card, uh, then you take that 500 and then you put it onto the next card that is the, has the most interest on top of that minimum payment that was already there. So that start, starts creating that avalanche to get that down. So with that being said, I would think that, listen, you don't want to give up. Uh, you, you're going to have to change your lifestyle if you can't afford it, but you, know, you don't want to be in the house all the time. You have to have some sort of life plan, um, but you have to be aggressive and realistic that it could take me you know, two years, three years or a year, whatever to get this knocked out if you really care to do it. But if you, but it can be done because I always, like I said, the, the prior question, you can always cut back. So with the credit cards, yeah, you need, those are just, they're bad. And let me say this, Hannah, you know, if you listen to like Dave Ramsey, for example, and if you follow him, you're going to be successful. It's not quite always per my cup of tea exactly. Not everybody likes him, but he helps a lot of people. There's Susie Orman. There's a millionaire next, or yeah, millionaire next year book, right? Whatever it may be, none of that is wrong. But realistically, we the approach we take here is we agree with it, but we also understand that most Americans don't do that. So what we'd like to say is, well, mm -hmm. all right, we can live with the fact that you can have you'll have a mortgage and maybe a car payment. Because that's just so, because that way we can educate people in the world that they live in rather than just blanketly tell them to go kick their butt and go pay all this off because they probably won't do it. So if you give them ability with a plan that's realistic, then um, I think you'll get more success out of them because they won't get the shock to their system. Um, and then they can be more proactive that way. So when you sum it up, you know, if you're building the emergency fund, the rainy day fund and paying down debt, you should be contributing to all of those, right? So you can't put as much on the credit card if you don't have any reserve of cash over here on those other two funds. So you're going to have to put some there every month while knocking the cards down. And then once the, the funds are established, you don't have to keep putting money in there anymore. And then you'll actually free up more cash later on. That's one cool thing. Yeah, I and love that. I would say the other thing, one more thing is, you know, don't be house poor. People, people spend way too much on their houses um, especially in this market right now, and they're getting into bidding wars out in the suburbia areas in many places. And um, they get in, they sell their house for a great number, and then they spend more because they're in a bidding war on, on another house. Um, or a lot of these young couples, they go out and buy houses that uh, usually get four to five times your income for your gross income, meaning to be able to buy that house. So if I make a um, hundred grand a year, I could qualify for a five hundred thousand dollar house even as an individual. That's just not sustainable. So you know, live within your means and don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Worry about your world because once you get control of your money, it becomes infectious. And, um, you know, you want to start putting that um, little emote around your castle in a drawbridge because you don't want anybody to come and, you know, mess with what you've built. And again, we, we will, I'm sure in a second, we haven't even talked about investing. So I know. Let's <laughs> go there next. So, like, all right, let's get all the the bad stuff out of the way, the negative things, because we need to do that. Yes, because the next layer would be like, all right, now in this budget, and I'm assuming that's what you do as well. But we need to have amount that is going for savings, even like for for, for the short term savings. We talk about emergency reserve, but longer term stuff like that financial independence that everybody's wanting and talking about. So, how, how what how do you what is your approach to that? 
Well, we've talked about the fire movement, for example, for the millennial and the, and the, and the new gen, the Z now. Um, we don't unsubscribe to it, but we don't subscribe to it for that generation because if you're living so frugally, you might really be impacting your life where you're just missing out on so much of life that I think that can hurt you. And then if you're working a side hustle, you're not really retired. Um, number two is that there's so many things that can happen in life, like a health problem. You're not paying into social security or very much if you're working a side hustle. You might pay for a wedding for one of your kids. All these things aren't planned in that kind of a thought process. So being able to retire early at that um, lean fire to million dollars at 40 is, is usually not attainable because you have to make so much money even to build the million or live on a, um, you know, a cardboard box. And I don't know if that's the right way to go. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think no matter what, if, if you have your debts in control, and here's, here's like a great rule that no one will pretty much follow. But if you're paying more in debt on your interest debt, right? So if you have credit cards, house, cars, boat, whatever it is, whatever you have a loan for, and you're paying more in interest on that than you're paying on the investment income that you're making um, in your retirement plan. And for most people, it's a 401k or employer-sponsored plan of some sort, then you're actually losing money because you're paying more interest over here on the left than what you're accumulating on the right. So you need to get to a balanced formula where you're getting more of the investment interest income that you're building for the future over that debt. So that's like a measurement stick right off the bat that people should go figure out. And if they're, and again, if they're paying into their retirement plan and they're paying more over here, then they actually should be stopping their retirement plan at less. Maybe they can get the employer match because that's free money. Uh, other than that, that's the rule that you should follow. I like that. That's a, I've, I've, I've never heard of this kind of a, just a quick and dirty rule of thumb. So one question that um, it's good to put all of this in place, like you do this, you know, you, like you said, there's something that may have happened in your life and you really need to get all of this under control. How do you really stay on it and maintain the whole, you know, the whole process? How do you get excited about it? Because obviously looking at the statistics, most people aren't excited about it beyond the initial phase. <laughs> well, you need time. You need a plan that's realistic in time. So let's go back to this rule a little bit. But let's say you're putting a little bit into the rainy day, a little bit into the emergency fund. You're getting your debt un under control. You're paying your bills. You have this slush fund that I talked about. So you have a fixed budget. So that way um, you don't have the ebbs and flows. You have a consistent pattern. So people like consistency. They don't like, you know, uncertainty doesn't work very well with just about every human. So if you have all those elements in place, and you can look back and one month's not going to do it necessarily, but you might even say, hey, you know, this month I did it. And then you, you go two and three, and then you get into six months and you look back and say, hey, you know what? I have, um, have $2,000 in an emergency fund now, and I didn't before. And I have a little bit in the rainy day fund. And I, you know what? I got this credit card knocked down, right? And they start feeling, they start seeing some results. And the thing is, they did it themselves. It wasn't, they weren't awarded. It's not like a job where you get a promotion, it's like, hey, I actually did something with the situation and now I can see something building up over here. Because at some point, and it's hard when you're young, and that's why the earlier we always say it's never too early to budget and it's never too early to invest. So as you go through life, the more that you age, it's just mortality. And so like I'm 51 Cindy's 55. Our kids are all grown. So my mindset today is way different than it was when I was 30. So um, we do our show to just give back, for example, because we have wealth. And 
I spent $50,000 on a studio just to do for video and audio that most podcasters will never achieve. But I feel great that I had the money to do that because I built that up. And so that's why you got to start early as possible because compound interest is, this is what we always say on their show. It's our phrase that will be on our merchandise. Compound interest is our best friend because you just need to put it in there and let it do its thing. So you, you know, you have to take care of yourself for the future in your plan at the same time while you're paying these other things off. But again, you said the approach, you see this stacking up over here and then you see it stacking up over there. But as you get your debt in control, then you should start feeding more money over here into this investment side. And the typical rule of thumb is about 10 to 15% of your gross income. And that goal says that on the last day you work, when you go into the first day of retirement, if you choose not to work at all, you should live the same lifestyle. And, and that means you need 80% of your replacement income. So if you're used to living off hundred grand in your household, when you retire, you should have 80 a year. That's the rule. And that way, um, you know, that's, that's the lifestyle that would keep you pretty much where you are at. Because at that point in life, you should not have the same bills. You might, your kids could be out of college. Maybe you didn't pay for it. You shouldn't have a house payment. You know, things like you were there should be eliminated. And that's also why when you're young, you can't keep piling up all this debt because every time you're paying over here on the left, you can't invest on the right. So again, everybody like might listen to this podcast. Most of them, we know at least two thirds of them aren't budgeting. So they're going to have to take some time to get things in shape. But as soon as they start seeing some movement, they're going to, I'm trust me, man. Once you start budgeting, you never go to the dark side. I've never seen it happen because they realize the value in it. And, they, and again, they did it for themselves. They rewarded themselves. Like a therapist always says, like we're like financial therapists, right? Um, yes. You know, what, what do you, what, what, but the bottom line, you always say you can't do it unless you do it yourself. And so a little confidence goes a long way. And that's, you know, that's the approach they have to take at this, you know, and if they don't know, ask somebody. Ask, ask somebody, go do your research. You can find somebody that will talk to you if you don't know how exactly to approach it. And it probably won't cost you a dime. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like the angle that you were taking with this is find yourself getting some results, right? Or, you know, little wins one step at a time to get you more incentivized. So, and, and something else you mentioned that I think applies um, for, you know, for your audiences is mine. They're, like there are different life phases and, and I'm in a different life phase than you are because I have a young child. So my lifestyle um, is, is a little bit or a lot more influenced by that, right? Raising a child, all the expenses that are associated with having a family versus you because your kids are grown, you know, empty nesters. So wouldn't you say there's a, there's a phase for the budget as well? And it changes as you go through your life. Absolutely. You know, when, when your, your son or daughter, um, went to the bathroom by themselves the first time, wasn't that cool? Oh my God. My, my son, Liam is two and a half. This is the phase that we're going through. Yes. I thought it was, it was just amazing. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, it's awesome. So that's a milestone. And then when he learned to drink for the first time on his own, that's, that's a milestone. No, I don't have to go back and maintain him. He can do it on his own. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but what I'm getting to is, well, okay, you know what? Diapers are expensive. All of a sudden, I don't need diapers anymore. I, I don't need formula or maybe if you're breastfed, but whatever. I, you know, eventually your kids, they stop growing. Like you don't have to buy new shoes every year or every six months because they're not growing. And maybe they stop eating as much because they've, you know, boys, they seem to never stop eating. But, um, you know, that's an example of all these things. Uh, like, especially, um, actually, probably one of the most expensive times too is when you get into high school and if your kids are in activities like sports and drama and, um, you know, whatever 
there's all kinds of things they can do. It gets expensive and there's, and all the, you know, um, Haley, Haley had all these birthday parties she was going to. And it's like, you know, you're going to 30 birthday parties during the year. It's like, thank you whipping out this money for each single one of them. I can afford it, but you got to put a lid on it. And so these, all these little, cause it's about, you know, you can look at the numbers, but it's about 230 grand to raise a child through age 17. Right. So you're not even talking the 18th year and you're not talking college yet. If, if you, you know, if you opted to do it for your kids, um, so, yeah. So as you get older in that phase, a lot of that goes away. And then, then you get the college years and then you have graduation parties and all that. So there's always something, but absolutely is that as your kids get older, um, eventually, yeah, you being empty nesters gives you the freedom to, in my phase, like we barely, mm-hmm. we barely buy any food. We don't even need it. Like we, you know, we, want to prevent wasting it. So we're more, more like minimalists now. We probably eat out a little bit more than we used to. Um, but that's a great example, right? If Eventually, if they have their own car insurance, you're not paying for that. Uh, um, did you help them with their car? Yeah, well, now I'm not paying for the car. And so um, what about their phone? What about their streaming services? You know, you know, parents choose to do different things with their kids. We made our kids pay for some things. So they had the value of learning and earning and paying. But for the most part, yeah, all these things start going away. So your phase is just ramping up. And so again, if you're not managing your money, that's where you really get killed. And the problem is, is then I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but um, being 51, I think all the kids graduated. Well, they all did by this year. We're blended, but by age 50, that's still a pretty early age. And so Mm -hmm. to be in control and when they're out and I don't have to worry about all this other stuff, it's a great thing, a great feeling to have that I don't have to worry about any of that. I can't imagine not doing any planning for myself and then being 50 and then I have nothing to show for it. And that's what gets people later in life is they have nothing to show for it. And they probably still have debt. Here's a great example. Every time, all these people love to refinance, right? If you don't stay in your home seven to 10 years, more than likely you're actually losing money because it costs you that much to pay it off and and the refinancing costs in the first place. And then every time you refinance a mortgage, it's another 30 year mortgage for most people. So if you're, 40 years old, that's going to be till 70 till you pay it off is an example. So you can't keep repeating these cycles. You have to have a plan and execute it. Yeah, I agree. I will answer your question. It's not a secret. I'm 38. So my, I will be a little bit older than you are when Liam is launched right off out of my nest egg. But I agree. I, I, the point you made is that you like all these things we're talking about, you can't just wait to do them because Time is on your side, especially if you're younger, right? And, and as you build all these things, the compound interest and all of that helps um, to get you to, to a point where you don't have to worry about that. The one question uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, I know you uh, run your podcast with your wife, Cindy. And so how do you guys divide and conquer these responsibilities? What's the dynamic? Because that's one, one of the challenges couples face too is, um, you know, who's in charge? How do you, how do we really run this household, you know, personal finances together. Uh, we actually just did an episode three weeks ago on that it was, um, I think it's number 69 couples finance. And that mm-hmm. was the question, should you have one budget or two? And the other part was the statistics on, um, you know, if people have like their own bank accounts, what's the, what's the divorce rate. And the more people separated their finances, the divorce went, <laughs> divorce rate went way up. Like it, it shows by the numbers, if you have one unified budget, 
that your divorce rate goes down exponentially. It's as low as 20% as opposed to people who separate and go up in as high as 80% of a divorce rate. I think that's what the numbers were. The whole point is the numbers just correlate. Um, we are fans of a unified budget. And the reason is, is you're a team. And if I am an architect, um, a vice president architect, and I make a shitload of money and Cindy's out and she's, um, she's a teacher, makes an average teacher makes what? $52,000 a year in this country. It's, it's respectable, but it's not a ton. And some make a lot less. Well, I'm not going to fault her for doing a noble profession because I make two or three times her money. Um, I just don't think that's fair. That's the way we think about it. It's a pool of money. So if she makes 40 and I make 100 as an example, then it's 140. It's not 40 for her and 100 for me. Um, and the other problem is if you split your budgets, that means it's two sets of work, right? Mm -hmm. So who yeah. pays what? Who pays what money? Well, I handle these bills, you handle these bills. Well, what if um, you, know, you don't have enough money to put in your 401k plan by our goals, but, so I have to put more over here. Um, do I, does that mean, Anna, you have your own emergency fund and only rate, your own rainy day fund? Again, all these things. And it's just like, it gets very complicated. And that means you have to communicate more on who's doing what and trust the other person. And if you don't, you need to check balance each other, like especially in people who aren't very good with their money, it comes to credit, right? When you get a house, who, whose house is it, is it then? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, we just don't think that way. It would, it'd be like going out to dinner with Sydney and say, you know what? This one's on me tonight. It's like, <laughs> it's just goofy. It's not like we're dating anymore. <laughs> so we, we just don't subscribe to that. What we will say, what we do say is that if you want um, to have some of your own money, that's cool. Get a separate account and say, well, I'm going to, this month you get X amount and you can do whatever you want with it. That's fair. And we, we understand that you earn and, you know, um, but again, that's the way we do it. And that's what the statistics show you. It's a partnership. So you should think of it that way. And um, I think the last part I would say is what happens when you get into retirement? Does that mean because I made triple the money that you did that you only get one third in retirement to go out and live and I get triple that money? It just doesn't make sense. It just really doesn't to me. So we don't subscribe to that. We, we think it's, it's it, no, I will say this. Cindy has, I run the budget. Cindy has access to everything. She has all the account passwords and IDs. Um, she can look at the budget, all the bank accounts, everything is shared, all our investments, everything's shared. So we're in lockstep with what we do. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm also sure because I subscribe to the same idea. My husband and I you know, got married really young. We didn't have a whole lot to deal with. So it was easy, right? It was just an easy, like all, you know, everything is together. But I think it also kind of simplifies um, and probably eliminates a lot of those disagreements people have, right? Like you talked about the separate separate finances and and separate things. Um, it's just it's it's just all there. I think it's um, and and because I I see this a lot with clients in in the relationships, like when we create a financial plan, where like there could be couples where one may have more interests or abilities to manage everything, right? Like you said, you run the the actual budget and, and Cindy has access to everything. And the other person is may not be interested or doesn't know how to do it or whatnot. But I still believe that everything, everything where it's seen by both partners and both are involved on some level, right, it is a lot better than the, you know, the choppy approach and not having anything at all. What happens if you're not around one day and he doesn't know what you, what he's doing? He's gonna be yeah. in trouble, right? So exactly. Listen, it's an old adage. Communication goes a long way. You got to communicate. 
True, and especially about money. And so, yes, the transparency too. Well, I, I appreciate you very much today for all of the suggestions, advice, and recommendations. If our listeners wanted to connect and, and tune into your podcast, how can they do that? You can go to somethingonmymind.net. Uh, there we have all of the blog transcripts from the show. You can listen to the show, but most people probably won't, which means they'll go to whatever streaming platforms out there. You can do that um, on the site too. There, um, there's education about 401k and some other, and, and, and for kids. And the first 10 chapters of my book are on there, which is really the budget. Um, and then we're on uh, Instagram and all social media, uh, Instagram and TikTok at, at uh, SOMM.podcast. But if you look up something on my mind, finance or personal finance, um, we will be found. Awesome. And I'm happy to link this all in show notes for the episode. So thank you so much again for um, tuning in today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope if, if we help one person with this conversation, then we, then it was worth it, right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm counting more than one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, money bosses. Are you ready to get your financial life in order once and for all as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my money flow system, a free playbook of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting and who likes that budgeting thing anyway. You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less than five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. Hey, Money Boss. Thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone, uh, so don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, 
not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember, you are the boss of your money.